today into our second week of our series called Moved with Compassion. Last week, we started a vision series where we said our mantra, our banner, like what we're, what we're focused on for 2024 is these three words. We are going to be moved with compassion. Like what does it look like to be a church in a community where, where we have compassion for our city? We live in a world that is lacking passion. We live in a world that lacks passion for the right things. So what does it look like for us to be a church who is passionate about the things that God is passionate about? Like what could God do through a church who has a deep, fiery passion for the people of their city? So if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and uh, go ahead and watch it on YouTube. Uh, But today I want to dive in a little bit deeper. And uh, maybe last week, hopefully you were inspired and encouraged. But today I want to get very practical about what it looks like to overcome and what it looks like uh, to really live out the passion that you have. The title of today's message uh, is this, how to get your passion back. How to get your passion back. If you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write that down. And uh, if we could turn up the house lights here in a moment too so people can read their notes, that would be awesome. And uh, we believe that if we're going to see change in our city, if we're going to see awakening in our city, if we're going to see revival in our city for people coming back to God, it's going to take it. It. Okay, so over the next three weeks, I want to talk about it, and here's the working definition for it. This is what it is. It is that indefinable thing someone has who walks with God. How many of you, maybe you've walked into a church service, and it was completely full, but you could not feel or experience the presence of God at all? I mean, maybe you've walked into a church and it's a lot smaller, but right when you walked in, you sensed the presence of God and you left that place different than when you walked in. Why? It's because that church or that person had it. A person can have it. A family can have it. A marriage can have it. A church can have it. And dare I say, a nation can have it. Have you ever had it. Like, have you ever experienced the presence of God? Like, been so hungry for the presence of God in your life, where where you wanted to devote your life to the purposes and the plans of God. Your heart was broken for the things that breaks God's heart. That's what we want to cultivate within our church. But sometimes you may have had it, but you no longer have it anymore. And the bad news is, Even if you have it now, it doesn't mean you're always going to have it. The good news is, is even if you don't have it now, you can have it today. I believe that there is an it for you, that God has a plan for you, that God created you on purpose and for a purpose, and he wants to do something in your life, and you will come alive when you realize and discover the life that God has for you. I want us all to be moved with compassion for the things that God is moved with compassion for. 
So over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about a na- the nation of Israel, specifically in the time of Nehemiah before Christ, and walk through what Nehemiah did to help see it come back for the nation of Israel and how that can apply to your life today. The nation of Israel was in this cycle, okay, where, where they had it and then they would lose it. And Nehemiah is the story of how they got it back. Maybe you had it at one point and you've lost it, and I believe that this story is for you. So here's a, here's a question for you, and, and if you're smart, which all of you are very smart, I'm sure you already know the answer to this question. In fact, actually, before I even ask this question, we got any homeschoolers here? Any homeschoolers here? I want to give you a chance to raise your hand because I know you never get a chance to. Um, now, so here's the question for you. Whenever you lose something, what is the most infuriating question that someone asks you when you lose something? Where'd you put it last? And I don't, maybe it's just me because I'm a terrible person. Whenever someone asks that question, I'm just like, if I knew that, I would have it, right? Right? But it is not a terrible question because it does make you think about, hey, I know I had it at this point, so I'm going to look right back at that point. And what I want to do here for a moment is I want to talk about 60 seconds of context for the story and the nation of Israel and how we can discover how we can get it back. God used one man to build a great nation called Israel, but God gave a caveat when he built this nation. He said, serve me and be just. If you do that, I will bless you. You are going to be all right. And if you walk humbly, you will have it. If you do that, I will bless you. So they did it for a while, and God blessed them in an extraordinary way. They got some great real estate, and for a few decades, they had it. But the story didn't end there, because when they were raised up and they were experiencing the blessings of God, they started to believe that they were the ones who got themselves there. They began to be prideful, arrogant, and they disobeyed. So God sends judge after judge after judge in the Old Testament to warn them, come back to God, come back to God, come back to God. But they didn't listen. So then uh, they're eventually taken over uh, by a, a place called Babylon and the people of Babylon, and they become slaves. And eventually the Babylonian Empire was taken over by the Persian Empire. And we pick up the story where Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And as we talk about Nehemiah over the next three weeks, I want to remind you, Nehemiah was not a prophet. Nehemiah was not a judge. He was not viewed as a special man of God. Nehemiah worked for the government. And oftentimes we think that God wants to only use people in a big way if they are a professional Christian. God only uses the pastor. God only uses the worship leader. And that can't be farther from the truth. Nehemiah worked construction. He was into permits. He was into organizational charts. Nehemiah was organized. He had a job and he was a leader. And it shows that God will use anyone. And God can use you. I mean, think about the the narrative of Scripture. Let me give you a couple examples of how I know that God can use you no matter who you are. Noah was a drunk. Jacob was a thief. Joseph was a convict. Moses was a murderer. 
Samson was a bully. Gideon was a coward. David was an adulterer. Solomon was a womanizer. Elijah had anger issues. Jonah was a racist. Jeremiah was depressed. Mary was a pregnant teenager. Peter was a hypocrite. Matthew was an extortionist. Thomas was a doubter. Paul was a terrorist. And Nehemiah was a general contractor. God can use anybody, and the enemy will lie to you as you walk into the doors of our church this morning and say, there is no way that God could ever use you. There is no way that God could ever use someone like you, and it is a lie. No way that God could use you because of your past. That is condemnation. In Scripture, Romans 8, it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy wants to define you by your past and your actions and your wounds. And you are defined by wounds. You're just not defined by your own wounds. You are defined by Jesus' wounds. In scripture, it says that by his wounds, you are healed. Thank you, God, for that. God uses this one man to spark revival and renewal in an entire nation. And I believe that God wants to use you where you are to make a difference. And I want to help show you how. Israel eventually gets it back. But in order for us to get it back, we have to first realize how we lose it in the first place. All right, so if you're taking notes, I would encourage you, um, you can either write this down or just grab your phone at the end of this and take a picture. I believe it will encourage you um, because if you've lost your compassion, if you've lost your passion, I want to help you get it back. And here is the it cycle. Okay, this is the it cycle. So let's go ahead and throw that uh, slide up there for a moment. It starts with humility, okay? Humility. Your relationship with God always starts with humility. It's saying, I've sinned. I've fallen short of God's perfect standard. And before God, we, we stand in humility saying, God, we need you to save us. And when you submit to yourself to God in humility, then you take the next step in the it cycle. You go from humility to obedience. Okay? I'm submitted to God, therefore I obey God. I don't obey God so that I'm loved. I obey God because God loves me. Then after you experience humility and you obey, then you will experience a blessing. This is the third step of the it cycle. And this is what Israel was experiencing. When they were following God, when they were just, when they were obeying God, they experienced blessing. Now this, now I want to remind you, the blessing from God happens because you reap what you sow. You are saved by grace through faith. You don't get to God through your own behavior. But after you are saved, God will take your obedience and he will bless you. Why? It's because God knows what's best for you. When God says don't do something, he's not doing it because he's trying to suck the fun out of life. He's doing it because he knows what's best for you. When God tells you to do something, he's telling you to do it because he knows what's best for you. And in return, you're going to experience blessing. This is the it. You experience the blessing. Now, this is where it's important. After you're humble and you obey, you experience a blessing, then here's what blessing needs to turn into. It always needs to return to praise. It's always supposed to return to praise. We are supposed to return the blessing God has given us to praise and be thankful for what he has given us. 
So when God blesses us, we say, thank you, God. This came from you. You get all of the praise. You get all of the honor. I'm returning it. After this, you restart the cycle. This is the it cycle, okay? After you praise, you go back to humble, and then you obey, and then you bless, and then you praise. And if you stay in that cycle, you will always experience it. But here's the problem. When you are humble and you obey and you get blessed, you always have the choice to either praise or be prideful. Praise or pride. Okay, let me give you an example of this. A couple years ago, and I know there's a lot of stuff going on with Michigan football. If you don't know, I'm a Michigan fan. I talk about it like every single week, okay? I know there's a lot of stuff going on. Let's just put that to the side right now. But two years ago, Michigan beat Ohio State, all right? And Jim Harbaugh had a press conference. And after the press conference, um, this is what he said about the head coach of Ryan Day. He said, Ryan Day is the head coach of Ohio State, and he said this phrase. Some people were born on third base and thought they hit a triple. Here's what Jim Harbaugh was saying, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not. What he was saying is Ryan Day is taking credit for a team that Urban Meyer created. Okay? So when you say someone, tell someone you're born on third base and you thought you hit a triple, what you're saying is you've taken credit for things in your life that you didn't actually work for. When we go from praise to pride, we begin taking credit for things that God has freely given to us, believing that it has only come through our willpower and our work ethic. But I'm going to tell you, your work ethic comes from God. Your willpower comes from God. You would never have been placed in that position without the approval of God. So any blessing that you've ever received in your life through your hard work, yes, God gave you the ability to work hard, but that blessing and that praise, it always goes back to God. Pride always leads to sin. And you know what sin leads to? Sin always leads to humiliation. Humiliation. Why? Because it is not the way that God is calling you to live. And when we are humiliated, ultimately, then we restart the process again and we go back to humility. So whenever you get blessed, you have a choice, pride or praise, humiliation or humility. Some of you have lost it because you are taking credit for things in your life that have been given to you by God and you're bragging about them and you're being prideful about them, believing that you got it yourself. So the question is, how do we get it back? We hit on this a bit last week, um, but today I want to remind you what we talked about last week, and this is what we read back in Nehemiah. How do you get it back? The first thing you do, according to the book of Nehemiah, is you sit down to weep. You sit down to weep. Some of you are like, maybe this is your first time you weren't here last week. You're like, okay, that's kind of weird. Tell me about that one. Well, let's go ahead and do that. Nehemiah chapter 1, it says this. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its great gates are destroyed by fire. Okay, so essentially what he's saying is when the walls are down, the city is not fortified, and they are open to attack. As soon as I heard these words, this is Nehemiah speaking, he said, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. You see, whenever God draws near to a person, people weep. 
We gave multiple verses of how we read that in Scripture last week. Make sure to check it out if you didn't. But why was Nehemiah crying? Here's why. The verse continues in in 5. It said, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So what's Nehemiah saying here? What do you weep over? When we weep and we draw close to God, we weep over the righteousness of God and the fact that we miss this so often. In our culture, we struggle with this. The church can struggle with this. And the reason we struggle is because we don't like calling things sin because it can feel bad to us. And naturally, here's what we do, and I am guilty of this as well. You see, when you sin, I become a judge, right? But when I sin, I become a defense attorney, right? There's no better example of this than a grocery store, okay? Imagine you go to Fry's, all right, whatever your chosen grocery store is. And, and you know how some of them, they have like the, that you can only go to this line if there's 10 or under, right? And what inevitably happens? You look over and you have a few items and you look over and you just start counting the number of items the person has in front of you. And you start counting and you get to 10, and you get to 11, and you get to 12, and you get to 13. And all you can do is think about how this is the worst human in the world. Like this person is going to hell. They probably steal candy from kids. They abandon cute little puppies. They're terrible. They have 13 items when it says 10. But what happens when you have more than 10? You start justifying it like I do. And you're like, I got Coke and Diet Coke, same family. That's one thing, right? And I just, I defend the things that I do while I condemn the things that other people do. Here's another way we do this. We call things that we do a mistake. As a pastor, I have a lot of conversations with people. And one of the things that blows my mind is when I'll have a conversation with someone and say, man, I've 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 made a mistake. I had an affair. And I just think about that. A mistake is a small slip-up of something that you accidentally did because you didn't know it was wrong. I've never met anybody who accidentally had an affair. Your words matter. And if you misdiagnose the problem, you misprescribe the solution. If we are just people who make mistakes, here's what you need on Sunday. You need um, some good self-esteem. You need a good TED Talk and a good life coach if you're just a mistaker, okay? That's not what we do on Sundays because we just said we're not, we're not mistakers. Like we, we sin. And since we're sinners, we need a savior. We're not bad people who need to just get better. We believe that we are dead people without Christ who need to be given new life through Christ. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. If you want to be moved with compassion, we have to sit down and weep over the righteousness of God and how often we miss it. What else do we weep over? 
We weep over the purposes of God. You see, when Nehemiah hears about the walls of the temple being torn down, it's been 134 years since these walls were torn down. Nehemiah already knew the walls were torn down. He wasn't broken because of the news. He was broken because he wasn't doing anything about the news. So my question for you, what is something that breaks your heart for the purposes of God? Like when you see that thing, it hurts you to the core of who you are. Like it makes you cry. It makes you sad thinking about it. Maybe you stop following certain social media accounts because you just can't handle it when you see that certain thing happen in our society. For some of you, it might be the next generation of kids growing up and they they don't know God. And if that's you, we need you pouring into the next generation, showing them how much they matter to God. Some of you, it's people who are struggling with addictions. Maybe it's kids in Africa without water. Maybe it's foster children for you. Maybe it's people with marriage issues, kids in Latin America without an education. What breaks your heart? Here's what breaks my heart. It's when people don't view following Jesus as the most fulfilling life possible. When they view following Jesus as a list of rules instead of a relationship to pursue. It breaks my heart when people wake up not having purpose for what they're doing and believing that they don't have anything to live for. It breaks my heart that people don't know a God who has an incredible plan for their life. It breaks my heart when people don't know how much they matter to God. When I was pastoring at my last church in Ohio, I was a campus pastor, and we had about 2,500 people at that campus, so there was a good amount of people, and I didn't know everybody's names, and one Saturday morning, I went to a Burger King to get Cine Minis, because Cine Minis are amazing, okay? And I go to this Burger King, and I get to go pay, and as I am about to pay, um, the person who was working the register looked at me, and she smiled really big, and she's like, hi, Josh. And um, I look back, and we didn't really know each other that well. We'd probably only talked to her once or twice, but I remembered her name. Her name was Debbie. And I said, hi, Debbie. How are you doing? And uh, we have like a short little conversation because there's someone behind me. And then the next day, I see her at church. And I walk up to her, and I said, hey, Debbie, how are you doing? Thank you so much for like serving yesterday and um, helping me get my food. And she looks at me, and she says, Josh, I can't believe you remembered my name. And I said, Debbie, you got to give me a little more credit than that. And she said, Josh, it's not that I don't think you're smart or that you can't remember things. It's because I didn't think I was worth remembering. And when she told me that, my heart just instantly broke. And I thought to myself, how many people feel that about God? Like they view God as this cosmic, mean person who is just looking at everything they're doing wrong and talks about how much they hate, how much God hates them. And God wants to remind you today that you matter to him, that you are loved by him, and he wants to be in a relationship with you. It breaks my heart that there are millions of people in this valley who don't have a relationship with God. It breaks my heart that there are going to be people who are eternally separated from God because they haven't placed their faith in Christ. It breaks my heart that there are so many people who are going to wake up day after day without a passion for this life and not knowing that God can use them to make a difference. 
And I want Purpose Church to be a place where anybody can show up every single Sunday and know that they're going to be reminded that there is a God who loves them, there is a God who has a plan for them, and there is a God who would go to any length to remind them of that. So we want to help you discover that here at Purpose. After you identify what breaks your heart, what do you do? Well, here's what Nehemiah did. He kneeled down to pray. And here's what he said. For some days I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah 1 is the first of 12 prayers in the book of Nehemiah. Essentially, over the next three weeks, I'm going to be preaching through Nehemiah's prayer journal. All right? And this is what we're reminded of, specifically when it comes to Nehemiah and the things in your life where your heart breaks for the purposes of God. If you're taking notes, write this down. If it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. Prayer is the most important thing you can do. And I'll just tell you, most people, even Christians, do not believe that. We say things, or we, we act as if everything is up to us. Think about it. You've probably said this before. I know I have. When a problem comes up in our life, you know what we do? We work on it. We try to figure it out. And once we can't figure it out or we're in a dire situation, what do we say? Well, I guess all we can do is pray. Because I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about that statement and how insulting that is to God. I guess we tried everything else. I guess all we can do to pray, that's all we can do. I mean, can you imagine the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth hearing that? The God who created you, the God who created the Grand Canyon, all I can do is pray? No, that is the best thing I could ever do is pray because prayer is not our last resort. It's our first response. He can work. He can do things that you can't do. He can work in areas of your life. He can take you further in a second than you could ever take yourself in a lifetime. Yet our natural posture is I have to figure this out. And God says, pray first. I can work. I can move. And you may be thinking, well, I just don't think I can do anything about this situation in my life. And for some of you, that may be the best spot you can be in today. Why? Because you have to rely on something that is not yourself, and you have to put yourself in a position to be dependent upon God. And I want to remind you today that God plus one is always a majority. And when you follow God, he is on your side, and he wants to work on your behalf. So we are going to be a church who prays. If you don't know this, Monday through Thursday, 6 a.m. on Zoom, we pray first. We pray as a church together on Zoom. Every Saturday night at 8 p.m., we pray. When January starts, we are going to fast and pray, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Prayer is the difference between the best I can do and the best God can do. And if God's not part of it, I don't want to be, have any part of it. Like, it's on him, and I want to place it upon him, and I'm going to pray and ask for him to move. Here's what Nehemiah says, and here's what he prays. He says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. I know I read that really quick. That's a huge prayer. 
these people are exiled. They are in so many different places in this prayer is God, bring all of these people back to a place where we can worship you. Bring them back to the nation of Israel. God, bring these people back. He prays a big prayer. So I wanna ask you a question. If God answered your prayers this past week, what would be different about our world? Like if God answered your prayers, I mean, some of you, you pray big prayers. And if God answered every single one of those prayers, like orphans would be adopted, poverty would be eradicated, prodigal children would come home, there would be major outpourings of the Holy Spirit, the glory of God would cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. But others of you, you're probably like me oftentimes. If God answered your prayers, your food would be really blessed. Your traveling mercies would be so safe. What if God wants us to pray different prayers? Because I'm going to give you the end of the story. Nehemiah builds the walls, and the nation of Israel is reconciled, and they get it back in Nehemiah chapter 8. But it all started in Nehemiah chapter 1 when Nehemiah got his passion back, when he got it back And here's what I believe. I believe that your neighborhood could be changed. I believe that your workplace could be changed. I believe your marriage could be changed. I mean, I just, I have faith and maybe I'm just naive enough to believe that this city could be changed, that this country could be changed, that this world could be changed, that people could look at a group of, you know, 150, 175 adults at Purpose Church who just say, we are hungry enough for the presence of God and asking him to move in such a big way. And we just, Spare at the thought that he doesn't. Like, I want to see God move. Before the end of my life, I want to see God move in a big way. There's a guy named Gypsy Smith. He was born in London in 1860. He was in and out of prison for 25 years of his life. He came to know Christ and the power of prayer. Gypsy Smith had it. He had it. There was no doubt he had it. He had no education, but he was asked by Harvard to lecture twice. He was born in a tent, and he had two presidents of the United States fly him in so they could meet him and talk with him and so they could have him pray over the presidents. He preached to millions of people about prayer without a microphone and social media. God's blessing and favor was upon this man who was in and out of prison and grew up in poverty. And God used him to make an eternal difference. And towards the end of Gypsy Smith's life, someone looked at him and he said, and he would get this question all the time. Say, what's the secret to revival? Like, what's the secret to seeing so many people come to know Jesus? What's the secret of having it and having your life blessed by God to see him do incredible things? And every single time, Gypsy would look back at that person and he would say this, you need to grab a piece of chalk and you need to go into your room. You need to get on your knees and you need to draw a circle. said, after you draw that circle and you're in your closet, you need to pray and ask and beg 
and plead for God to do a revival within that circle. Because he said, if it doesn't start there, it's never going elsewhere. For some of you, you've lost your passion. You've lost it. Your life may not be bad now, but you are missing out on all the things that God wants to do in you and through you. He wants to help you bring it back. And it starts with kneeling down and praying, God, do a revival right here. Because when God does that and it starts here, everything that happens here will go elsewhere. And when we have a group of people at Purpose Church who say, you know what? We're going to be desperate for God to move. We are going to be hungry for the presence of God in our life. There is nothing greater than experiencing God. And we're going to beg and we're going to ask for it. Man, we are going to come together a year from now, five years from now, a decade from now. And we're going to see God move in a big way. And there are going to be marriages that are reconciled. There are going to be families that are strengthened. There are going to be eternities that are changed. And God is going to work. So for some of you, maybe you're struggling today. It's time to get back in your closet and start praying. It's start time for us to be desperate for God to move. Some of you, you are heartbroken for wayward children. It's time to get back in your closet and pray. Others of you, your heart is broken for people who don't know Jesus. It's time to get back in the closet and pray. Some of you, you're in high school and you're heartbroken for your school to meet Jesus. It's time to get back into your closet and pray. And this is my prayer over this month is that we would be awakened by the presence of God and we would be a church who is desperate for him to move that people would never be able to walk out of this auditorium without experiencing the powerful presence of God because we serve the living God who wants to meet with you today. So over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna talk practically, what does it look like for you to live out your purpose? And how can you follow the call of God on your life? But before that, I wanna take a moment for us to respond. So would you go ahead and stand to your feet? I wanna take a moment to pray specifically for you and ask God to work in your life. God, I pray for every single person in this room. Lord, I pray that over this last hour we've had together that you just spark something in our hearts, spark a, spark a fire in our life, spark uh, just the opportunity for us to know you in a deep way, that we would hunger for your presence, that we would be desperate for your presence, Lord. We wanna know you. And God, as we get to know you, our prayer is that we would see change in this city, that Lord, we would see thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to know you that this room would be full of people who are passionate about following you with everything through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we despair at the thought of our lives not being used mightily on your behalf. So Jesus, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Jess. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We're so glad to have you. And hey, if you made a first-time decision to follow Jesus today, we are so excited for you. It is the best decision that you will ever make. I wanna encourage you to go to our website, purposearizona.com slash connect card, and you'll see a connect card on the website. 
go ahead and fill that out. It gives us a little bit of information about you and helps us come alongside you and support you as you start this journey. Also, if you just wanna connect with our church or if you wanna invest financially in what God is doing here in the Valley, all of the information is on the website, purposearizona.com. And lastly, we meet in person every Sunday at 10 a.m. at Desert Edge High School, and we'd love for you to join us. Be sure to follow us on social media for any other updates. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.